This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. We're pleased to have them uh, with us. We're honored, actually. They're such a cool, it's such a cool store. Yeah, a store that's been in the Portland area for over 40 years. I mean, it's, it's as Portland as Portland gets. Uh, I don't think you can find a, a market that is as local and has been here as long. They've got four locations. Well, actually, let me say this, Chris. I'm going to go on and say they have five locations because you got West Burnside, Southeast Belmont, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, but they've also got Zupans.com. That's true. That's your you fifth location. There. I'll tell you, I stopped by one of them last week on a Friday, mm-hmm. and I didn't realize this was just they do this on Friday, and I had a little guacamole tasting. Yeah. It was fantastic. They do that every Friday, and uh, as a matter of fact, Jennifer... The woman that was serving me the guacamole suggested I didn't need to have it on chips, and I got some Ken's bread. Oh. And had a, had a little on that yeah. over the weekend. Very it was nice. fantastic. I do enjoy that, because you go there, and they, you're, you're able to taste the best that uh, Oregon has to offer. Mm. And then you're and also- you're not just saying that. I mean, no. the quality is second to none. Absolutely. And by the way, it's not as expensive as one might think nope. when you're buying that kind of quality. It's- uh, it's really a nice experience going into any of the Zupans. We're just tickled, and, and I don't say that lightly, that uh, Zupans has decided to sponsor our podcast, Court. You've reached Right at the Fork. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast for another day. Uh, we are uh, mid-October at this point, I believe. Chris? Leaves yeah. changing on their way. The leaves started changing early this year. I know, I know. They what, were is it crunchy the, a while it, ago. Is it the, 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 I don't want to say lack of rain because I, I think we had some heavy rain months, but it was pretty crazy. I don't know. We need to have someone here with the restaurant weather update. Right. So yeah, we'll, 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 and Since we record this sometimes in advance, the uh, restaurant weather update will never be accurate. Yeah, this one's pretty far in advance, actually. Yeah. So by the time you're hearing this, we... We'll have been doing it a little while, a little while ago. Mm-hmm. My name is Court Johnson. I do the morning show on uh, 101.9 Kink. I do the Kink Morning Show. But, uh, Chris, you p- do Portland Food Adventures. You've been doing it for some time, and you've got a great event coming up. I'm actually starting, um, well, we're into our seventh year. Yeah. And uh, speaking of David Sapp, who's our guest here today of Park Kitchen, I'm starting in a, a series called PFA Classic, which is an, uh, which is celebrating the restaurants that have stood the test of time yeah. in a city where the new, which we celebrate on the podcast, right. where the new is cool and everybody's talking about it, but uh, any place that's been around 14, 15 years and is still uh, still cranking it out yeah. and doing a great job, Park Kitchen. So what, what we're doing on November 9th is a really cool event with David uh, in the kitchen, but the opportunity to dine with some of Cortland's uh, Cortlands, mm-hmm. yeah. Court. I'm, yeah, I've been, I've been uh, <laughs> arguing that they should this change shit, the name of the city to this Cortland. Is, you're in charge. It'll get there. This is, but some of Cortland's uh, coolest chefs. In this case, think about this: Scott Dolich, who's been, who knows, has been around a long time. Put it that way. And we mm-hmm. talk about this on the podcast, so I won't go to it here. And then also the uh, the dudes from Holdfast. So sit down and dine with Scott and Will Price and Joel Stocks. Um, on November 9th, uh, full PFA with all the fun and get, uh, and we'll be giving out gift certificates to Deadshot, mm. which is the kind of the Monday night bar 
food, yeah. cool thing that Joel and Will are doing uh, as an offshoot of Holdfast, and uh, also to come back to Park Kitchen as well. So um, I appreciate this. Is we've never done this before. We'll see how it works. Yeah. Portlandfoodadventures.com is where you can go to find out about that. And also, uh, because it's happening tomorrow night, if you're if you're actually downloading this and listening to it the day it's released, tomorrow night you and I are celebrity judges at the— uh, Oh, don't use that word. We're judges. We're judges. We get to eat food and <laughs> criticize or critique. Is that better? Yeah. Better. I wonder if we'll be able to compare notes and, like, agree on well, something. Well, I've asked to sit at the opposite end of the table from you. Okay. I, want to, I don't want you influencing me. <laughs> you want me. me to move further away No, you're now? good. I, just, I don't want you influencing me. <laughs> I, I look I look often, you're my guide. You're my you're my whoopee. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm like everybody else. I just like to eat. And no. I really, I, this podcast is here to celebrate uh, the people who work so hard, yeah. giving us all so much enjoyment. That's all. Anyway, so, that, uh, so it's Iron Chef Portland. Uh, event taking place tomorrow, uh, and you can find out more about that. We'll have a link in the show notes. There might be some seats available for it. There might still. We don't know if there's still. There yeah. are only three fifty. Right. And so, uh, but yes, go to the show notes at rightatthefork dot com, mm-hmm. and we'll probably throw something out there on um, on our Twitter, or Facebook yeah. as well. Yeah. Now today's uh, uh, guest, uh, David Sapp. Uh, we, neither of us really knew. Well, you knew I actually. This is another one of those times where I'm meeting him for the first time. But I met you, him a couple of months yeah, ago you, for the first. Yeah, time. Yeah, you met him for the first time. But uh, he understands and appreciates the Portland food scene and the pedigrees and where people have come from and where they're going and what they're doing. Well, he's at the heart of it at Park Kitchen. Yeah, and um, Park Kitchen is, I think, one of the most important restaurants in Portland. And David. Uh, so I judged another competition mm-hmm. for Lux Magazine, and there oh, were so you have of, done that before? I've done it a few times. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, there were some great chefs there. So it's really hard for me to say this because the group of chefs they had were fantastic. David's cooking was just stellar. Yeah, and he really impressed me. Not only did he impress me with his cooking, but we had the opportunity. As I said, I met met him that night to chat and I thought immediately this guy needs to be on a podcast. He's art- he's articulate, mm-hmm. he's well spoken, he's never at a loss for words like I am all uh, quite often. And um and you get that in the podcast. But he's he's super talented and I suggest if you haven't been to Park Kitchen um to get over there, but I also suggest sticking with this podcast for the entire forty five minutes or so because it's it's uh he's an interesting guy. Yeah. Right at the Fork is supported by Upserve. Upserve is the cloud-based restaurant management system serving up everything you need to know to run a smoother operation and exceed guest expectations. It's your restaurant. Run it like you mean it with Upserve. Visit Upserve.com to request a demo today. Tell them you are a Right at the Fork listener and get special pricing. The Chew Dining Club. Chew Dining Club gives you rewards and intel from Portland's best restaurants. Check in at participating establishments and you'll get rewards you want, like free pizzas, beverages, and extended happy hour deals, plus exclusive information and invites to fun food events. Chew. Find it on iTunes or Google Play. Leanne Bach of M Realty. Choosing the right realtor can make or break the buying or selling experience in real estate. Leanne Bach is in tune with the ever-changing Portland landscape, especially as it pertains to our food and restaurant world. Why not work with someone who's in step with you? Find Leanne at LeanneBach.com. L-E-A-N-N-E-B-A-C-H.com. And by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and craft beer. Emphasizing locally sourced items. 
Zupan's has been inspiring food lovers and local chefs for over 40 years with the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, Southeast Belmont, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Zupan's Markets. Love your food. We all have beards. We do. It's the bearded trio. I'm sure we've had this situation before, Court. Yeah. This wouldn't be the first situation where we've had three people with beards. I mean, it is Portland, so. Right. <laughs> there's yeah. A, there's a good chance of it. Pretty good chance. It wasn't when Heather was sitting in this nope. room either. So um, she did a good job with that. You know Heather. Heather Jones? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thank you for coming. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to have you here. So what I had said in our intro, mm-hmm. we don't do when you're here. But okay. Uh, or will say, haven't done it, but gotcha. what I plan on saying um, was, you kick ass. <laughs> you really do. I try. I dabble you every dabble. once in a while in ass kickery. And so. so what happens is you have Park Kitchen that's been open a long time, and it's long. got a long legacy. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you've been there for a couple of years now. But, it's, yep. but you know, Park Kitchen started as Scott and a lot of people. <laughs> Right. A, lot of, a lot of some of Portland's best restaurateurs, mm-hmm. artisans have been through Park Kitchen. Certainly. Right? Like, I, I learned early on the folks, Pine Street, Bis- Pine Street Biscuits. Kevin Ashley, yeah. Right? And Walt. And Walt both, yeah. Alexander and um, Steve Jones, mm-hmm. Cheese Bar. Of course, the and quintessential. you can help me with this, David, and you can pronounce that. Chocolatl de David. Oh, Chocolatl de David. Cho- is it Chocolatl? Chocolatl. I always try to put a little French thing on it. Chocolat. With a well, ch- no, because the X is sort of the Basque's X, so it's that ch. And I should know that so since like, I'm spending a little time in San Sebastian exactly. in that area. It's like Chico kind of idea. Right. So well, rather it's than like Zico or Zyko or whatever, it's Chico. So right, yeah. and the churros at, at yeah. 180, same thing. Churros con chocolate. Um. And then, of course, Will and Joel mm-hmm. from Holdfast oh, yeah. came through there. So it's like a, this is like the, I wouldn't even, it's the major leagues, but where a lot of people train and the free agents go somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. We're, I don't know, what would be the team where you're like, yeah, they start there and then they go out and they own their teams? Yeah. We're the Bulls. We're the Bulls. If you want to put a basketball reference, I'll say we're the Bulls. The Bulls haven't been good for years. Don't say that. <laughs> well, but you know. <laughs> anyway. Over the course of time. They had, when in their glory days, they had talent, and then, you know, there's rebuilding years. So. Yeah, well, they've had some, they have had a little bit of talent. So, And that's one of the reasons that we, when we sat down and thought about doing an event, mm-hmm. it'd be really cool to, for people, not only to, because for years people have tried Scott's cooking, they can go the whole fast, but to eat with these yeah. People to sit down and talk to them while you're cooking. Yeah, exactly. So, so in five years, we'll be doing the same thing, and you can come down and sit hey, down I, and eat when the next, whomever it is. Absolutely. I'd love to say we have that legacy still. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those things where you're just like, you want to do your time justice. So, you know, I feel lucky to to be there, first and foremost. It's actually, you know, I always tell the story that the first restaurant I ever ate in was Park Kitchen. It was actually the first restaurant when my brother first came out for his uh med school residency with OHSU, they always do like welcome dinners, kind of lure in candidates. And it was at Park Kitchen. And he texted me that night like, hey, there's this restaurant. They have tempura fried green beans and bacon, like literal bacon fries. You're going to flip. And yeah, came out here. First restaurant I ate at was Park Kitchen. Loved it. 
and it was kind of always a goal to be there, and I ended up there. So. Uh, I think, um, if I recall, and I could be wrong, because I've been wrong once or twice <laughs> before, but on this podcast, quite a few people have cited New York Times writing about Park Kitchen as the impetus for them wanting to come out here. One I know was Rick Giancarelli. Yeah, you'd mentioned that before when we were talking at the restaurant the other day. But, yeah, I know it's definitely one of those. Scout was sort of the, you know, he's a pretty face. He's he's the one you want to write articles about. He's that, you know, New York transplant all the way through and sort of worked his way up through the pedigree of, you know, Portland restaurants before opening his own because he was, you know, Wildwood, Higgins. Was Everyone. It? He's yeah. touched. He's, he's, yeah. he's the man. He he's is. been everywhere. He is. And some of those other guys, like we have Greg Higgins. We've had mm-hmm. Greg Higgins on the podcast. Yeah, he was at the Heathman, and but he's been at Higgins for a long time. Oh, yeah. Scott moved around a little bit before he got to Park Kitchen. Well, you know, Scott likes to dabble. He he always, he's got so much going on in his head at any given time as far as creativity-wise that it's it's one of those things where, all right, what can I do next? Where can I do this? And that's difficult when you're not your own boss. So, you know, I think this was always an eventuality for Scott to own his own place just so he could express a lot of that creativity because it's that, hey, what if we did this with this? What if we do this with this? And, you know, that can make some bosses nervous, but when you're the boss, it doesn't make you nervous. So, And everything falls on you. Indeed. So, I mean, on him. Well, yeah, uh, technically on him. Right. <laughs> and so I was thinking about this this morning because we want to talk about one house and how mm-hmm. that's going to Park Kitchen. And yeah. the plan was to do that at the Bent Brick. Mm-hmm. as well and uh that's got to be very tough he's got spent a lot of time at the bent brick mm-hmm. and and developing it and he had some, a lot of passion involved in there it's it's got to be hard when you get to the point where you're an owner to make that decision and cut cut it loose yeah i mean i think that's the thing for scott that you know i'll always respect is the hardest decision you make isn't to open your first restaurant it's to close your first restaurant um, and with that, you know, it it takes a lot of humility to kind of say like, hey, this is something that, yeah, I poured five years into. And he'll say to himself that, you know, the the issue was the identity crisis, sort of, of the bent brick. You know, he started it out and you've got killer talent and Will and Joel. And you want to sort of, you know, they're sitting there trying to express themselves at Park Kitchen and not really fitting the mold that was at that time David Padberg and Scott's collaboration. Mm-hmm. And he wanted, you know, Scott first fell in love with the building. I mean, it was a beautiful old space. He saw the vision for it. He chased it. And it's still to this day one of my favorite restaurants. Like, you know, still have the keys because we stash some things in freezers there, here and there, sort of stuff like that. And, you know, just walking in that space, it feels fantastic. It's a great, it's a beautiful, beautiful space. space. That, before that, it was it was oddball. Mm-hmm. Did you know that it was they sold the big the large size shoes? Out. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm sorry that it's not there anymore. Well, and it's one of those that it, you know, it it always trying to find and rediscover yourself is always a difficult thing. But you know, as Scott owns the building, which is first and foremost the best thing for oh, him. I, I didn't realize yeah. that. Oh, so he's it the owner. Been, it hasn't been leased since. He no, so he owns it, and he is, you know obviously being the businessman that he is having conversations daily emailing you know you look at his manila pad and it's just like talk to this person talk to that person talk to this person so everybody you know under the sun is oh whoever ends up with that i don't know what the terms are going to be that's not my deal 
But whoever ends up with that is one of the lucky ones because there's limited space for new restaurants in Portland. There really is. And that's that's one of the beautiful spots. So, well, and I think one of the and things, And I want a too. commission if someone hears this on the <laughs> podcast <laughs> and, and, and leases Sponsor. it because of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things, too. I, th- I think, you know, Scott, he knows what he has. And, you know, they could tear it down and build a high rise, but that's not what he no, wants. You know, the soul that of that happen. soul of that space will always be a restaurant. And I feel like if he were to start over with a bent brick now, it would be, you know, you put Will and Joel in that space now, boom, yeah. it would be incredible. But I feel like he was, as Scott is, he's usually ahead of the curve with things. His, his ideas are a little bit too forward, you know, sometimes to its good detriment, sometimes to its benefit. You know, I feel like that's the thing with us, with One House and with the Gratuity Free and doing all this. You know, we see the writing on the wall for the 2021, 14, 75 minimum wage kind of deal. And, you know, that's that's been one of the issues for us is how do we maintain this sort of structure? But we're trying to react now rather than waiting for, you know, that eventuality to come and sort of be caught with like a man, we could have figured this out a long time ago if we no, actually tried. So. No one's being more proactive. And I'm going to tell you one thing that I experienced when I was there a few weeks ago. Yeah. I have never been to a restaurant, at least in Portland, and I can't, I'm can't. i not thinking beyond that, where um, it felt like there was such a team spirit with all the employees that everyone's vested and everyone mm-hmm. is um, believes in the park kitchen kitchen mission Mm -hmm. as much as anybody who works elsewhere now i know there are some great restaurants of people love their bosses and but uh dylan i'm just having him as a as a server and and he's back there doing what he's doing too you just know that he is he's all in there's no bullshit when you ask him something on the menu it's Mm -hmm. right oh yeah he knows that and that's the thing you know dylan has it's kind of funny because yeah when i first met dylan dylan kewell um it was it was one of those things like who is this guy? How does he know like everybody who's everybody at Portland? But one of the memories I actually have, and I was totally like, how do I strike and know this guy? He used to work at Pontenegra way back in the day before that was Atala in that space there, and I think and Scott worked there too, right? Did he not, or did he work with? No, he worked with. with- uh, Ricardo, Ricardo with uh, Tapeo. Right. So, yeah. So, that was Tapeo was the last restaurant that Scott worked at before he started Park Kitchen. Okay. But, yeah, it was one of those things where it's just like, God, this guy's personality just reminds me. And it was totally that situation where, you know, you, you just, he has this personality about him and it's a way he carries himself and it's, it's just utter pro is kind of what I say. And, yeah, Dylan is, he's been great to us as sort of an events coordinator. He also does um, a lot of sort of our administrative duties. And, yeah, he's just, he's got a personality that is just sort of, it's inviting and it's it's genuine. But it's also one of those that you're just like, this guy is wacky. But I love him. So, But the whole thing, we had a group there mm-hmm. in that beautiful private dining room. Battle we're of the Chefs, do our 2016. Too, by the way, pardon me. Yeah, Val- I said Battle of the Chefs team 2016. Yeah, well, that's champions. by the way what I was referencing when I say you kick uh, kicked ass because there were some great chefs at that event, and it's just an exhibition. It's not a oh, it's real fun. official. It's yeah, a, of, a fun yeah, thing. A but fun. you're dealing with ingredients and and <laughs> and people assisting you who have no clue, and um, so I was a judge there, mm-hmm. and. Um, no disrespect to anyone else. There was a lot of good food, but oh, yeah. holy shit, the, all the judges, all hands down were thinking, 
that guy just <laughs> kicked ass. And I was back there talking to you. You didn't look like you were working real hard. I mean, when you I, know. When you were doing it. So you got it all done. Um, well, the you know, the, I think it was one of those when like, all right, you have the parameters of this time frame. And then it's like, oh, no, you don't have the parameters of this time frame. So I had mentally like, all right, I only have an hour to do all this. I've got to get this done. And then it was like, no, you can go ahead and start prepping now. Like, but we have like two hours. So I was like, okay, I can totally like, all right, my team, you know, do this, do that, you know, go give somebody else a hard time. You know, my, I had the team who, uh, apparently they were with Scott when he first did the battle of the chefs and they were um, notorious for, uh, I think when Scott did it, they stole the salt. Yeah. (laughs) So basically everybody had to get into the barter system of like, Oh, you need salt. Well, you got to come to Scott. You know, he was sort of the, uh, the gatekeeper there, but they wanted to be a little rowdy. I was like, guys, we're here to have fun. I want you guys to hang out. You know, a lot of those guys, you got what Chone hardware, Fakuz jewelry, Otis construction, you know, you've got a lot this, of big players in sort of the Lux magazine game. With I was going to say, we may as well, we yeah. may as well say what this was. It Tag was Lux, Lux magazine. Yeah. Lux magazine. <laughs> um, Debbie, Debbie Steiner, one of our good friends. Yeah. And with that, you know, you've got these guys that they sort of are peers and they work together, but they never really get to hang out. So I was like, guys, just sit and talk and hang out, you know, like have fun. I got the, so I got the cooking I'll win covered. This thing for you. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> it's like, don't get in the way. I didn't want to say that, but you know, it's like, no, I mean, that's, that's what these events are for, for these guys to sort of rub shoulders, to be involved as they want to be involved. You know, I think the only thing that nobody wanted to do was sell the raffle tickets, unfortunately, <laughs> which is like, that's the money for the good cause. You guys They raised you quite know? a bit of money. Too. They did. They did. And that's what I think is beneficial at the end of, you know, having sort of that, Oh, who wants to donate rather than buy raffle tickets during this whole thing. So. And but, every year, my friend, I'm just going to mention it cause he was so nice. First guy to raise his hand is Terry Sprague. Who's at Lux properties, nothing to do with Lux magazine, but they're, they work mm-hmm. together. But I just thought I'd mention that because yeah. he, he raises his hand for, you know, a grand or two every year just right off the bat. And that's what that. it's about. It's about having a good time, you know, giving a little bit back, but also just sort of spending your time with your peers, having a little fun. So. So um, what got you to Park Kitchen? What So in, in Portland and I, you grew up in Atlanta. Oh, I was born in Atlanta. I grew born up in, in North Atlanta. Carolina. Oh, so, right, right, right. So yeah, you, I'm you're a, a Southern boy, as was Scott, went to school in North Carolina. Yeah, he's a Duke, Duke. grad, so... Did you go to school um, down there? Did you hmm? you go to... Oh, so I went... Yeah, so I was born in Atlanta. um, Spent sort of my younger years in Pennsylvania, hence no Southern accent. Mm -hmm. But um, grew up in North Carolina. There's a a tinge There's a twang, y'all. Do you hear it at all, Get any of it? Ever so slightly. Ever, Ever so, so slightly. slightly. Ever. I, I don't want to. I'm, I am mean, I grew up in Utah. Every now and then my Utah accent pops out. What is it's a like, Utah oh. accent? I can't. Fi- I haven't figured it Generally, it's the sound of dumbness. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that was Connecticut. No, I, oh, I, I, I don't know. It, my, my grandma grew up in southern Utah, and it, she would, she'd ask, add R's to extra stuff. So it was wash the dishes. And, that's oh, that's, Pennsylvania. So it's, that's a little bit. My, yeah, I've, I've been told to wash the dishes a couple yeah. times. That's totally Pennsylvania. So, my yeah. ex's family is from Pennsylvania. So it was wash. They were Warsh. outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah. And Hawaii for, well, it's funny because, you know, I have relatives. They're mostly all in Georgia, but it was Hawaii. Hawaii. It's not like how are you, but right. it's Hawaii kind of thing. So that was, yeah. It's it's just funny, the colloquialisms and sort of the, the twangs. Sure. I just throw in a y'all every once in a while just to sort of show my passport, but yeah, mm-hmm, it doesn't right. come that naturally. I was always the kid who wanted to say you guys, mm-hmm. just so people thought like, oh, he's not from the South. Mm. He doesn't have a Southern accent. But yeah, no. you really don't. You you have lost it. So Yeah, that, that's what the North Carolina does, I guess. It sort of mellows me all out. But yeah, so North Carolina was 
uh, pretty much from like four till through college. I mean, I went to Appalachian State in Boone. So, um, what's, was their, a, what's their mascot? The Appalachian State Mountaineers. 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 Same thing with West Virginia. Yeah. A lot of Mountaineers around there. Absolutely. Mm. Getting a little territorial with the name. <laughs> I was, I was, well, I there's a lot of mountains up there. Right. So. I would, I would have guessed like possums. Uh, <laughs> oh, possums. The uh, roadkill. Right, right. Yeah, you know, no, 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 no. So, yeah, with that, um, App State, so Mountaineers, we, you know, our claim to fame was beating Michigan. We almost beat Tennessee this year. We, we put a hurting on what? that preseason. In what? Football. Football. Appalachian State beat Appalachian Michigan? State, when it was sort of an exhibition year, it was 2004 or five. I think it was the first year that I, after I graduated, so it would have been 04, um, no, excuse me, beginning of 05, because I graduated in December of 04. Uh, it was literally like the best thing I've ever done for their football program was to graduate. Um, <laughs> not that I had anything to do with their football program before, but that was sort of our, you know, opening preseason match. You get like Michigan playing the little, you know, what is it? Bowl, ch- not bowl championship, but not BCS. That's huge but to for be that whatever. little school oh, that yeah. played Michigan. Oh, for them to come in and pound. Big deal. What was the biggest score you remember? Because it had <sighs> to be up in the 80s or 70s or 80s at some point. Oh, my mom, my mom was um, went to Michigan, so uh-huh. I grew up with University of Michigan instilled in me in the crib, uh-huh. and then later we were um, neighbors. Okay, with um, a guy with the Cyphers and Fritzy, who was the fullback at Michigan when I was like ten years old. Okay, playing the Rose Bowl, we went out and I got to watch him in the Rose Bowl. He awesome. Gave me, he gave me his chin strap after he scored a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. Wow, that was pretty cool. So anyway, big Michigan. Thing okay. going on. Yeah. I know how yeah. dominant they have been, although the last few years have been a little challenging for them. Well, you know, I mean, it, that's that's college football for you. Are you a sports fan, generally mm. speaking? Is this an area we should not go down? Or I mean, I, I'm i a product of the 80s, so with that, you know, it's Chicago Bulls, it's Atlanta Braves, it's, oh, man. you know, I know, I, I know. I was that's born in okay, Atlanta. That's okay, man. <laughs> I actually had, my mom became a Brave fan after she was a Met fan. Okay. And I just spent this weekend watching uh, my Mets do a pretty good job with the Braves. They lost one. Yeah, but I mean, do you watch them? Do you follow the I Braves? I really don't. I oh. really don't. It that was that was sort of a young thing. My brother was really into basketball. Um, I actually share a birthday with Michael Jordan, February seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Michael day, Jordan, the day of the day of. So my brother, that's the wow. one thing he's always held against me is that he felt like he was the big Michael Jordan fan, so he deserved you got to have the, birthday. the shared birthday. Yeah. Wow, but yeah, that's so. cool. I'm just gonna look because I got a couple. Who do you share? Do you share a birthday with anybody that you know? I share the birthday with the boss, Bruce Springsteen, coming up Holy here. Shit. The day. The day. The day. Of, yeah, it's September. Well, not no, the. No, no, no. We're not no, the same age. No, I'm talking. You were. Oh, no. And oh, Michael no. Jordan's he's much older. He's than, 30 years you're, old. You're talking about I the exact am. same day no, no, and no. year. Yeah, no, I was talking oh. about that. Oh, oh that, no, not you know, to the day. You know no, what? I'm I not that I old. didn't do the math. That's oh, sorry. man. I didn't even think of it, but I. <laughs> I just really aged myself. No, 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 not at all. I'm sorry. I and No worries. It's completely obvious. 53 now. Right. You're not that old. You're, you're, I found a fountain no somewhere gray. in the middle of you, you know no Brazil. I, I can't. I, I I can't say this. My wife, who just celebrated her 39th birthday, died the exact same day died? as Elvis. Or she she was born. <laughs> she was born the exact same day Elvis Presley died. So I remember that day. I so, can tell you where so I was. So is your wife? So my Elvis wife reincarnated. That's kind of okay. Kind of the working theory right now. Does she wow. like peanut butter and bacon and banana sandwiches? Amazingly, she does. Yeah. There's so many. There's so many parallels. Hard pressed science I, I'm right a, I'm there. A, right. <laughs> As long as we're on yeah, this, because I love were this you? topic. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, where was I? Yeah, where were you? Summer in college. Summer of '77. I, I was working some uh, some event, but I remember being at my parents' condo uh, smoking a, a little bowl of pot hmm. when I heard that. All right. So, well. uh, and it was before I heard that. Yeah. Um, but I was doing some job somewhere. I can't remember. Um, and I was working or not, under or the influence. Not doing. Not doing a job. Right. Sounds like. No, I. Could, <laughs> But, it's the day off. So my birthday, I have <laughs> a pretty good off. one. Awesome. I got, I have uh, Jerry Seinfeld, but nice. not the same year. Okay. But same year as Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, there you go. So and she, you know, I'm looking way better wow. than she is. She, she could do this anyway. I'm sorry to get off. <laughs> no of that. worries. So no you, worries. you know anybody who was born in the day of? Because I like that idea. The it gives exact you a little. Day of. Oh, it gives goodness. you a little. Um, it gives you a little feeling for what someone's lived through. No, that's all right. I don't you know anybody the exact that. day. I've actually met a girl in college that lived in the floor above me that was born the day after me in the same hospital two doors down. So that oh, was wow. exciting. So I dated a girl who was born on the same day I was. Last girl I dated before I met my wife, too. Interesting. So, and she looks so incredible now for her age. <laughs> well, it's and one of those, you know, you can, you'll can you never forget her birthday if you share it. So yeah, well, that's And funny. then you never feel obligated to like, oh, it's our anniversary and it's our birthday or whatever, you know? It's like, make the excuse. I always had an uncle who would break up after Christmas or before Christmas and then redate the same girl after Valentine's Day just to avoid the uh, obligations there. But For the Valentine's Day obligation? I think Christmas, the, no, they would break up at I Thanksgiving and then they'd before. redate, like start redating in March. So That's not the first yeah. person I've heard that does that. That's pretty that's, damn, I can be cheap. cheap. That's pretty that's, damn cheap. It's pretty cheap. All right, you're a small business owner, you own a restaurant, you're great at what you do, which is making great food. But when it comes to managing the restaurant, that's probably the last thing you want to think about. It uh, usually is. Yeah. And by the way, even if they want it, even if someone wants to think about it, right. it's tough to do. It's tough to do, which is why <laughs> Upserve is here to help you, the industry's largest and most comprehensive cloud-based restaurant management system. You know, there are already 8,000 restaurants across the country using Upserve's analytics and point-of-sale solutions to run a smoother operation and something that's really important exceed guest expectations. That's right. And it will also help you figure out what menu items are driving repeat business. Uh, you can also measure your staff performance, all sorts of things available in Upserve that will help you know how to manage your restaurant in a better way. So if you go to upserve.com, you can see a little video there that gives you an overview of what they do and certainly find out a little more detailed information. And as you do that, be sure to mention Chris and Court and they'll give you the reduced pricing as you check them out. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's something we can do for everybody. That's right. Upserve.com. Bring them back, sweet so we were, a long time ago, many years ago, we were talking about how you got to Park Kitchen. Oh yeah, many moons from, ago. From Pennsylvania, I guess. So Yeah, so I moved out to Portland. Um, it'll, it was seven years ago yesterday. Actually, oh, congratulations. so I drove into Portland on September 11th, which is kind of one of those you're like, that's sort of a weird day to say, like, this is my inaugural day, mm-hmm. but easy remember. to remember. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so it was one of those things. My dad and I actually uh, convoyed all the way across the, the country from North Carolina. Um, I was living in Wilmington right before I moved, which is a little coastal town out on um, on the coast. I was a beach bum, but moved to Portland. Some nice coast out there. Oh, too. yeah. Beautiful coast. Rehoboth Beach and. That. Warm water. That's yeah. what I really, um, Wrightsville Beach was sort of the one beach that was stomping grounds of David Sapp back in the day. Um, but yeah, I moved out here. Um, I attended sort of the last class, I guess you could consider it, before they went full Le Cordon Bleu at Western. And what was, was that the impetus to move out here? To <sighs> yeah, the- yeah. So and in you, many, many former lives. Cook- and so what kind of cooking background did you have before you get here? Yeah, so... 
I always say that I grew up in the kitchen. My uh, maternal grandfather, sort of your quintessential Southern cook. So every time there was anything, big old breakfasts, biscuits, sausage, bacon, country ham, eggs, grits. You know, you, you, unless there's three animals of different likings on the table, you're not actually dining kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up like literally making biscuits with my grandfather when I was about like six. Um, and then really sort of. You still make a really good biscuit? Uh, it's on the menu now, Park Kitchen. Oh, right, right, right. Absolutely. I'm sorry I asked. I no experienced worries. it. It was great, and everybody was raving about that. Yeah. I, I give my grandfather, Bob Richards, the shout out there. So that's Bob Richards' biscuit. But um, yeah, I sort of grew up um, doing that, not necessarily ever saying like, oh, I'm going to do this for a living. Like, I really always love to cook, and I always jokingly say that, you know, my mom, she's a good cook, but she sort of liked routine way too much. Like, Oh, I'll make this on this night, and I'll do this on this night, and it drove me nuts. Well, you're you're a young father now, and you can probably relate oh, to. Absolutely. It's not easy after a while to go. I got to plan another yeah, meal. Yeah, I got to plan another meal, night, or I come home and they have to eat too, and they don't want this or that or this. Or, you know, I mean, he's only 11 months. He'll be a year old on October 1st, so he's not really that picky of an eater yet. Um, but yeah, I totally get it. I totally understand it as a parent. You, you know, understand the energy level exactly, required to do exactly. So in high school, I actually started taking over and sort of cooking for the family. You know, I was always grilling and doing stuff like that. But then um, my mom literally got to the point like, "Here's the card. Go to the grocery store, buy what you want, make it for dinner, go." And that was like the best stress relief for her. So you know, that was sort of the thing. I always did it, and then I went to. You know, I have a psychology degree with a communications sort of background, and I was thinking about school psychology, and then kind of got to that point where it's like, you know what, no, it's not what I want to do. I don't want to go to grad school. I almost went to UNCW, um, UNC Wilmington, uh, to sort of pursue curriculum and instruction, sort of, you know, be a school counselor, but I was just like, that's not me. And I had a really good friend who I was living out of the coast with at the time, and it was just like, you know there's two good things that I see in you. He's like, you know, you really love photography and you really love cooking and you should pursue one of those and you should go for to school for one of those. So, um, through sort of that, I was just like, you know what? People don't have to buy photographs, but you know what? They eat at least three times a day. So there's a little bit more job security in the cooking realm. So, and I'd always done it. You know, I always cooked for my friends. I even cooked, you know, if you can cook in college, it's, it, it's a good thing. Like, oh, hey, girls, we're just making some dinner over here. You want to come over? You know, whatever. So uh, that was always... Never worked for me, and I did some cooking. Well... I just wasn't that good at cooking. Right. Or or you were cooking the wrong thing. Or a shitty salesman. Right. There you go. We got some ramen noodles. We're making up... I'm going to put some uh, paprika on it. There you go. No, you know, you got to spice it up a little bit. But no, with that, um, yeah sort of looked into it, kind of looked at East Coast schools, looked at West Coast schools. My brother moved out here with his um, wife to do his residency in emergency medicine. And I came out and po- visited Portland, and it was July, and it was gorgeous. That's and the market same thing was, happened to me. It, you know. It draws you in. Oh, it does. Like, the you know, the, all the artichokes and all the colors and the peppers starting to pop out and all those things. And you just kind of walk around, and you're just like, my goodness, there's such an abundance. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of the draw here to go to culinary school. Got in, applied, did all that jazz, you know, found roommates on Craigslist, moved out here. Um, and yeah, it's sort of been ever since I, I was, uh, when I first visited that one trip that I sort of inaugurally say, um, they had, there was an old 
um, booth at the farmer's market that used to sell Italian truffles. And of course, you know, you're young, sort of deciding you want to go to culinary school. Truffles are like gold at that time. Mm-hmm. Especially so, Italian. Oh, yeah. Truffles. So it was one of those like, oh, my brother was like, here, I'm going to buy you 20 bucks worth of truffles and cook dinner. So I went and, uh, you know, of course, my brother not having anything that I needed at the time. I was like, all right, I need a truffle slicer. Do you have a rolling pen? I'm going to make some pasta. I was like, no, you don't even have a rolling pen. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go to Sur La Table. So went down to the one in Bridgeport Village and was talking with the lady there that was the manager at the time. And she's like, you know what? You're a really good talker. If you ever moved to Portland, you got a job. So moved to Portland, started culinary school, started working at Sur La Table. Um, in Bridgeport Village? In Bridgeport Village. Sure I might have crossed your path Probably back tried then, to sell you a knife. Yeah, I probably tried to sell you a knife or something <laughs> or, like that. Or just put one in me. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> they don't. They tend to frown upon stabbing customers yeah, for, the top well, for some I, reason. I'm sure I've had a couple of places I've done business with who might want to do that. But. Yeah. But yeah, so I went through culinary school, did my externship um, at Clerk Lewis with uh, Dolan and Kai. At the time, also some other great cooks that have kind of gone through there. Um, so that's Dolan Lane. And yeah, Kai Dolan Kuhn. Lane and Kaiku. Right. So, uh, yeah. yeah, both of those guys. Dolan's at Red Star now, and Kai is getting ready to open Denway Kenting. Is he really at Red Star? Yeah, he's back. He's at Red Star now. So he was at Merriweather's. He went to Blue Hour, and then he got out of the Bruce Carey Group, and he went to Merriweather, and then now he's at Red Star. You know, I asked that because when I I had my first summer uh-huh. in Portland and Red Star was one of the first place I went. I really liked it and I don't hear about it that much. It's not it's in, one of those it's old school conversation. Yeah, it's like it's kinda like us at Park Kitchen. So you know it's one of those things where you're like, hey, yeah, now, we're still Park here. Park Kitchen's in we're a different here, conversation yes. than Red Star. Well, I, and it's interesting though, because yeah, like some of our one of my um he started with us as a dishwasher and I've sort of taught him basically how to cook from a to a prep cook and his name's Nelson. And uh, he worked at Red Star forever and is like sort of notorious that he knows all these chefs and all these people. And then actually our front of house or our service manager, Chad Fassenmeyer, um, he worked at Red Star for a while, too. So we've got sort of some alums of, of Red Star at Park Kitchen. But with that, yeah. So um, <clears throat> interned there, was working at Sir Top at the same time, sort of working for a living, basically trying to afford you know, living with in a nicer house with three medical students who could all pay the bills because they all took out loans. And I'm like, I don't want to take out loans. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So with that, um, from there, I actually got a position working at the Sur Top in the downtown, in, in the downtown, <laughs> in the Pearl, Pearl. District, uh, teaching cooking classes. So I was one of the chef instructors there um, and kind of worked myself into like a culinary assistant thing. I helped write some of the recipes, plan some of the classes try to get some collabs. I kept trying to get Portland chefs to like teach cooking classes at Sur La Table, but for some reason it's so hard A to wrangle them and B to get people to sign up to go to cooking classes for some reason. Um, but yeah, so with that, I, I taught there for a while. And then um, when I was doing that, a friend of a friend sort of heard of an opening at the Ace Hotel. Um, they have a little breakfast nook. It's room 214, I think. <laughs> it's literally like a hotel room that they've turned into sort of a little breakfast nook. It's European style continental breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh McFadden is actually w- the guy who sort of designed the room for him and designed really? the initial menu. So Sounds interesting. he and, we need uh, to go over there and check that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's for, uh, it's technically for guests of the hotel cause they just charge, we just charge it to your room. Um, but I'm sure if you smile and wink or do whatever, you know, they, 
I let a couple of people mm. have some breakfast. Doesn't get me anywhere. Oh, come on. <laughs> smile and wink. Smile and wink. So a smile and wink doesn't get you anywhere and inviting the ladies over and for no, some, some I'm, food during college. Why, Man. This is why I'm doing the podcast. Right. I'm trying to hear how to make this work. <laughs> I guess it's, well, if you say, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here for that sort of advice, unfortunately. No, that's okay. You don't need to. Yeah. But- um, but yeah, so I was doing that for a while, uh, had a lot of fun, sort of got to basically just play um, with like some pickling, preserving, making preserves and, you know, we'd feature charcuterie. I learned how to make a really wonderful, you know, sort of soft cooked, almost hard cooked egg, made a lot of eggs for a lot of people <laughs> over time. But yeah, it was a fun little spot. Um, it gave me a lot of time to read. Uh, jokingly, I read the entire five um, um Game of Thrones books while I was working at the Ace just because it's like you kind of set it up and then you hang out in the room and it's like, oh, hey, have some breakfast. Help yourself. I'll do whatever you'd like. Um, but that I'm reading. It sounds like it's going to be a great breakfast when I travel. I don't get that kind of oh, that, that European style great breakfast. One. It's the same shit everywhere you go. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah, this it was very much different. I mean, we it was, I always like to have like three different types of local cheeses. You had... You know, at the time I was there were little tea croissants, which is my favorite croissant. Oh, man. Perfect. Um, You know, you've got a nice sort of semi-hard, soft-cooked egg. Uh, We had OP salami for a while. We did some La Quercia prosciutto. You know, you've got granola that they used to make for us down at Clyde Common. You've got... It's a a fantastic... Yeah. Yeah. It was... It's it's really, really worth it. It's weight in gold in my, and you got Stumptown, you know, French press in there, all right, you can drink. Serious. So, and I love the way I just love the lobby at that hotel. Oh yeah, it's just really cool. Uh, so yeah, from so yeah, so from there, <laughs> um, basically, I had a friend who I went to culinary school with. Um, she, I, so the story goes that you know it comes time to do your externships. You know, you literally start asking and you're like, okay, I'm going to interview with this person and this person. Um, The day before I was going to actually start interviewing, she went and did it at Park Kitchen and got the job at, you know, got the, got her interview, her externship at Park Kitchen literally the day before I was going to do it. Cause that's, I had my heart set. Like I want to go work at Park Kitchen. Um, So she went there. I ended up going to Clark Lewis. And so she worked, sort of stuck around and then I worked her way up to a sous chef and she sort of messaged me like I'd kind of been moaning and grumbling like I kind of feel like I'm getting slow haven't been in the kitchen for a while I've been like working at Sir La Table teaching cooking classes and then like opening this little breakfast room every morning but I'm not really like you know on the line in the weeds every day like you, you are so. you're not Michael Jordan yet yeah you know you're not at that legacy state so yeah so with that um yeah I just was like hey let me know when anything happens they sort of had bottom tier cold side prep job open i'm like i'll take it i gotta get out of this you know i want to start sort of getting back in a good proper kitchen and yeah that was uh april 2nd technically was my first day 2000 and it's been four years so that would be 2012 right so yeah so i've been in park kitchen ever since wow so that's grunting along that i'm impressed by that because it's not a really long resume to take over such a wonderful restaurant as executive chef, you know, it, in a short, fairly short period of time. And yeah, it was the right place, right time for me. I mean, for sure, there was a lot of you know good cooks there. Um, you know, I started in, and Ethan Snyder, who is you know was the executive chef at the time, you know, he had sort of done his pedigree in New York, so he was working under Andrew Carmelini, helped you know work at um, Avoce, La Conde Verde, helped open the Dutch. 
Um, so with that, he sort of had that intensity that I needed at the time. And then, yeah, um, Laura Dixon, who was sous chef at the time, she's now, I think, assistant manager at the Woodsman. Um, and then, uh, Burnham Bowers, who actually is getting ready to open his little pop-up. He's the kitchen manager at, um, Meat Cheese Bread, which is another part kitchen alon, John Stewart. So failed to mention um, that. That's a key. Yeah. He's getting ready to do a little cool sausage pop-up because Bubba loves making sausages as we love to say. So, um, I haven't been to Meat Cheese Bread in a long time and I, that is just one of the, they're so good. It's one of those, it's it's a a gem and it's, it's one of those like consistently good breakfast burritos and then it's the green bean sandwich, man. Like green beans on a sandwich, are you kidding me? But, yeah. oh, that sandwich just calls to me every once in a while. It's like, I need it. I need it in my life. Uh, but, yeah, so um, really cool talent in at the time. Um, and I was sort of right place, right time. I was there. I was, you know, hungry, as they say. And, you know, started working cold side weekdays. Then worked to cold side weekends. and Worked to hot side. And then, you know, basically when I made the rotation through, I just sort of kept being like, give me more, give me more, give me more, give me more. And, you know, Ethan and Scott were at a time at that point where it's just like, let's keep giving this kid responsibilities. So, you know, I sort of stepped up. That was the first time ever they had promoted up a third sous chef. So we actually had three sous chefs there. And then... um, I might point out, not to interrupt you, but this is the antithesis of what a lot of people in that chair talk about when they talk about uh, the generation of people working in the food industry now, that they're not hungry, that they're not necessarily looking for more. They just... And I think it's the kid, you know, and I hear a lot of that too. It's, it's this age thing, you know, I mean, I, I'm talking, yeah, we're well, talking four I, years I, ago. I, I was yeah. 29, you know, it's, it's not like I'm coming into this as, you know, an 18 year old who's just like, I'm accustomed to this, that or the other, you know, I, I was coming in as a, you know, second lifer as it were, and sort of that I'm here to focus and I'm here to push. And, you know, I don't, I want to absorb as much as I can because I feel like I haven't been that guy who's been in the kitchen for 11 years you know, started as a line cook at this place or was slinging pizzas here and then worked my way up to that. You know, I was coming late to it. So it was that I need, give me all your knowledge, give me everything you can. You know, I was the sponge at that time. And yeah, so it was that like, I think it was, yeah, they promoted me up to a, as a third Sue. And then, you know, um, Brennan had the opportunity to go to Michi's Bread, which is always like his sandwiches are Brennan's thing. And then, you know, Laura was feeling that she actually went over, um, she was feeling the front of the house call. So she actually went over and, uh, was working at the mid brick for a while, um, taking over some of the managerial front of house, um, duties there. So yeah, I kind of became the lone wolf and then had, um, sort of the opportunity. They sort of created an executive Sue role as Ethan was sort of stepping in a way to sort of an operations manager. And then it was just sort of that opportunity where, okay, as an organization, we were like, we're going to promote David up. We're going to make Ethan sort of operations director over Park Kitchen and then sort of bring that umbrella over the bent brick for a while. And yeah, it was just sort of totally right place, right time for me. Um, but it was one of those that I always jokingly say they never let me got, get comfortable. It's like, oh, you think you got that responsibility taken care of? Here's some more. Oh, and then you think you got that underhand? Here's some more. So it was and always that, that. And now let's do one house. Exactly. And that. now let's, hey, you know, we've, you're, David, you're almost light to where you understand chef life and oh you just had a kid great so now we're going to start to try to rebuild a, a business model that you know has at, been in place since at, at restaurants, all restaurants have always opened exactly. so yeah so how's that working how is one house working and why don't you explain for those who the mm-hmm. uninitiated yeah. who uh may not have listened i think it's episode 72 
Go back with Scott, Scott Dolich, Dolich um, where he talks I'm going to fact check that. Fact checked. Right. You already yeah. did it. Yeah. All right. Seventy-two. Seventy-two. We were but wrong. You're, you're always welcome. We I'm were wrong, wrong last time. We 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 referenced we referenced the previous, the previous episode. episode, and we were wrong. I think I well I was. <laughs> so what number <laughs> am I? I? How long ago was that? Am I? You're going to be ninety something. Ninety-two. Ninety something. Now we're we're no, 90, ninety-three, ninety-four, ninety-five. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, like okay. Somewhere yeah. So, so sort of my glory years. The dream of the nineties. Right. Yep. There you go. You got it. Uh, so explain what One House yeah. does and and why it's why you're doing it. Yeah, so the, we sort of saw that whole disparity of like, you know, it's always and forever the the whole situation of front of house versus back of house and and all of that sort of there's been these tensions and this stuff and all that sort of whatever you want to call it. And we sort of saw as our opportunity as such a small restaurant. I mean, Park Kitchen's 39 seats, you know, and when we have patio out, we expand to almost 50 and then we do have our private dining room. But with that, such a small crew, you know, we were 12 people, 12 plus or minus sort of year round um, with part-time staff and full-time staff. And we were just like, you know, with the opportunities and a lot of the beauty of Park Kitchen and being sort of this open kitchen and being such a small space, you know, there came moments where I would have to run food or I would be the expediter. And it was just like, okay, I can help clear that table and thing. And Scott sort of saw that happening within our kitchen space of how the kitchen can impact service. And then also how that similarly, and we started sort of talking about what if we cross trained everybody that worked for us? You know, what if we put a knife in the hand of a server or what if we put, you know, an apron, a, a, a clean apron on a cook and had them go, explain food you know you think about that as the ability to really fully ask any question of anybody and they be able to understand it because they know it from its most you know elemental state of prepping the food and doing that so it was way, way better than when if you ask when you ask a server how's this prepared and they say i'll be right back to go check <laughs> exactly you don't have to do that well yeah and, and that wasn't really you know it is an efficiency thing for that because yeah there's six less conversations that have to happen between right. there and there but no, for us, it was one of those things that, you know, we saw it as how do we, uh, how do we make this a livelihood? How do you make this sort of sustainable? You know, sustainability has always been written into our core values at Park Kitchen and that from sort of a food standpoint. But for us, it's that how do we make that something that can also mean something in sort of how we operate and function managerially. So the sustainability for us is if we can create food professionals who can do everything they're going to be able to go on and open their own restaurants and be their own chefs because nothing will intimidate them well and besides that from a from a practical standpoint mm -hmm. with minimum wages rising um and we assume that some listeners understand this but some may not there's a huge disparity between the compensation in the front of the house and the back of the house so oh, yeah the I, I marvel at how hard cooks work and chefs mm -hmm. work mm -hmm. back there and, you know, almost for many of them at minimum wage. And, and it's it's it feels like long, thankless work sometimes, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that I've always been gravitating towards open kitchens is because you do even get, if you get a smile or if you get a thank you every once in a while, you know, that was what was great about working pantry station at Clark Lewis is you're literally the door. Somebody walks in, host station's right there, right behind you is the chef or, you know, the cook working on pantry station. So, you know, even getting that, like, thank you, that was awesome, or that, you know, there's there's a lot of intrinsic value that goes in that. Um, but, yeah, for us, it was that, how do we make it where I can keep cooks? Because, yeah, if you're paying $10 an hour, $12 an hour, these guys are working, 
you know, this, that, or the other and, and feeling underappreciated. Meanwhile, you have servers who are part-time, you know, um, there's tip credit states, which Oregon is not. And, you know, that means that Oregon has to pay, you have to pay minimum wage. And then the server on top of that gets the tips. Um, whereas in other states, if you have a tip credit, they can pay you $2 and something an hour because you're going to get tips that'll bring you up to minimum wage. You know, so th- with that, you know, there was that sort of, there is a, a lifestyle of being a server. It's like, Hey, I'm an artist on the side, but I serve tables and I can know I can come in in four hours and I can make this amount of money and do that. And that's great, you know, but for us, what we wanted to be able to do was take those cooks who, man, it's, it's tough to live on 10 bucks an hour for 40 hours a week. And, you know, you get a little bit of a kickback normally from tip pooling. Well, you know, the ruling came out that tip pooling was illegal and that, you know, it has to be in the line of service. They don't consider the kitchen for some reason, the line of service. So there's a lot, a lot of legal ramifications where. What was the the reason that they considered that to be that kitchen staff weren't in the line of service? I'm not, you know, for, I don't, Okay. I'm not 100% sure. I just know it was basically a protection. And initially what it was, it was a protection from a boss saying, this is how much you make, and then I'm going to absorb the rest. You know, it's all those, you know, the the road to destruction is built on good intentions sort of thing. You so know? It, was to make, it was to make sure that no none of the yeah. people who own the restaurants were actually keeping some of those tips. Exactly. It I mean, it's, and it's, it's a good thing, but it's sort of whenever you set a precedent and the language isn't specific the umbrella unfolds and you see all of the things that you're like, oh, wow, that means that. And that also means that what, you know, and, and we're not saying like it was this person out to get somebody or this, that, or the other, you know, it was meaningly so to, to prevent anything from being sort of allowing owners to take advantage or this or that or the other. And that's not what we're trying to do either. You know, we're not trying to take advantage. You know, it's not like because we're going gratuity free, anybody else is scraping anything. What we want is to be able to sort of be equitable, be a house where it's like, Hey, I can keep cooks and I can pay them $15 an hour. And you know, that's a fairly livable minimum wage, I guess you could say at the time. And and that's something we're going to reevaluate every year too. You know, we know that right now 15 might help pay the bills and put food in the belly, but in two years, it's probably not going to be the case. So we're yeah, going to have to yeah. constantly be fluxing and changing. Things change in Portland as we know. <sighs> Indeed. Housing prices have Gone, you know, gone crazy. Oh, yeah. So you got to keep up with that. But yeah, so with that, we were just like, hey, let's put it out there. Let's see this idea. Um, we sort of, you know, used various people as guinea pigs. We were just like, all right, let's test it. And um, my sous chef, Caroline, who is fantastic, was sort of our first guinea pig. We're like, let's throw her out on the floor. She's, you know, very personable when she chooses to be. She'll kill me for saying that. <laughs> um, anyway, but no. I think that's the case with most everyone. Exactly. Right? You put knives in their hands and we're all dangerous. Exactly. <laughs> but no, so it was one of those things where we're just like, hey, let's let's test this. Let's train it. Let's see how it works. You know, can we get somebody with a food perspective out on the floor and teach them the major points of service? And, you know, we started that in January and had technically been doing it before we ever you know, we sort of were piloting it. It wasn't it. a designated thing, but oh, you were, no. tr- you were as, as a matter of th- how to make a restaurant work and a little bit of team spirit, yeah. you were doing it anyway. Yeah. Well, and it was one of those things, too, that we were always, we didn't really want to announce it and make a big deal out of it until it was <laughs> what it was. Right. And now, we, now you want it to be a big well, deal. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's one of those things where we feel, we don't feel like we're solving the entire problem of like this, that, or the other. But, you know, for us in this time, it works. And we're sort of feeling, you know, we're still in the the infancy of it. 
you know, the gratuity free has just happened since July. And, you know, that hasn't really been sort of that big of a deal for us, which is great. It's not like we're seeing a huge, like, oh, people are throwing money at us and saying, I hate this. Give me, let me tip you or, oh, the prices haven't necessarily, you know, it's an 18% increase. So it's a dollar to here and there. It's not like it's a that's huge. 2% better than most people usually tip. So they're, they're ahead of the game. <laughs> well, that's our average. Well, I you know, we say looked that, back, but... we looked back at, we did the numbers through all the years and sort of 18% was our average at Park Kitchen. So that's why right. we did the 18%. We didn't want to do, you know, we didn't want to lowball ourselves but... into the bankruptcy at 15%. And we didn't want to feel like we we're getting too greedy at 20%. So, but my point is no matter what 15, 18, 20, yeah. From a consumer standpoint, the bill is going to be just about where it was before. Absolutely. And you don't have to calculate anything. Yeah, it's the bill done. doesn't change. And, and that's sort of what we're seeing is that, yeah, people are like, okay, that's how much I was planning. It's kind of like moving to Portland, you know, coming from somewhere where it was <clears throat> North Carolina was, you know, 0.7% or 7% tax. So you're like, all right, I have to do the math on this for the tax and then I have to do the math on this for the tip. You know, when you're ordering here, literally at Park Kitchen, you walk in, that's what I'm going to order. That's what I'm going to pay. So, And you don't have to feel guilty when you walk know. out not tipping because it's been done in Europe for years and it's the understanding. So, Yeah. And it, it's one of those things. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's one of those where it's, it does make people feel like, and that's the thing is people want to feel like their voice is heard in the experience. And that's why we want to all be out on the floor. We all want to have this one house and this conversation. And we even have a card that goes down. That's like, Hey, give us a call, send us an email let us know, you know, write you a review. To, you don't have to do it with the tip. There are other yeah. ways there are other ways to voice displeasure and 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 pleasure. Exactly. And satisfaction. And as Scott says, people pay with their they 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 talk with their feet more right. often than not. So, you know, if they don't like it, they're never coming back. Or, you know, you see you read all the articles and the reviews and people are like, Oh, I'll just never go to that restaurant. Well, have you ever been? Have you ever tried us? You know, I mean, we'd love to have you in. We'd love to have you experience that experience, but people have already made that decision before. So, well, I suggest, and I've said this for a while, Park Kitchen has been around for a long time, and there are a lot of restaurants in Portland, and this one, yours, has stood the test of time. So, I really suggest, especially got a new concept, which is basically just what the bill looks like at the end. Yeah. And, but it's not because you have you have a really nice experience going on there. That people go in and then uh, say hello. They'll meet you. You'll come. Yeah. You'll, most likely, you'll come out to the oh, I'm, table. I'm, You're obviously a personable gentleman. I talk a little bit as we're you know running over a very long podcast uh, we're, we're here. We're good, but I I suggest people go in and uh, uh, and try Park Kitchen all over again. Yeah, they I mean we're tried. definitely. We're definitely respecting where we've been, but we're trying to move forward. And that's, you know, always been the perspective of Park Kitchen is that, you know, it's always through the lens of this. Scott, when he first started, again, came from Tapeo, so he brought a lot of Spanish influence. Um, David Padberg, when he was chef, really brought in a lot of Japanese influence, really started studying Japanese cuisine. Um, Ethan brought in a lot of sort of French basics, but with also that sort of Italian thing from Andrew Carmelini. You know, I feel like I bring a little bit of sort of just home cooking Southern stuff. Uh, you know, I'll try to get some liver mush or some scrapple on your plate or mm -hmm. something and biscuit for dessert something or something tells me like you'd that. be successful at that. You're going to well, have to fight to do that. I've already done it a little bit, <laughs> exactly. which people like, you just got to call it something different. And they don't, you know, liver mush. It's a North Carolina thing and it's cornmeal with like some liver and sometimes a little bit of meat, sort of like a scrapple. But, you know, we, we just call it something different that people like and they're like, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll try that. So semantics, you know, word, yeah. get, word play. Well, cool. So, um. 
Uh, thank you so much. Yeah. I, you know, we usually cover some of the places that you guys like to go. Okay. You guys and gals like to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you cover, we talked about meat cheese bread. We, we talked did. about a lot of these places, but are there any specifically that you're digging right now? Oh, man. I it's Portland is in one of those times where it is so hard just to keep up. I think that's the, the thing for me is it's, it's hard to sort of be in that place where you're just like, I really need to get there and I really need to get there and oh, I haven't been there in forever. I want to go back. Um, you know, I think... I always have a soft spot for a good churro. So 180 has sort of been a like, oh, I got to sneak there in the afternoon, get a churro. Um, Taylor Railworks, I had a fantastic meal from Eric a couple, uh, that was like a month or so ago. Uh, he just continually puts out some great plates. Um, I just went to Ava's for my anniversary oh, last nice. week. So Ava Jeans is always solid. Their pastas are just incredible. Um, it's a nice anniversary. What a nice guy. Yeah. You know? Court, that's a good four years. I'm marking it down too. right now. I don't, exactly. yeah, I don't have I'm anniversaries to deal with. Coming up on so, twelve. Oh, super. congratulations! Thank you. Thank congratulations. Yeah, that's good. Lucky, uh, lucky man you are. <laughs> I, I am. I am. Yeah, beautiful woman, mm-hmm. and she's so. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Here. Absolutely, it's really nice, and it's been fantastic to get to know you. I didn't know you uh, up until recently, other than your name. Well, you so, know, I, I. I Anonymity at times can be a very nice thing um, when you're freshly married and trying to actually spend some time at home and do things like that and, you know, start having a family and all that. But no, yeah, I, I definitely, I enjoy getting out there, meeting people, doing all that stuff. Yeah, so it's you a pleasure, can tell you do. Sure. So you, and you got many years in front of you to get to Michael Jordan's <laughs> age, by the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. Do you remember? Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. Portland's original food and drink news and review blog brought to you by the legendary Food Dude. Now featuring the huge outdoor dining list you'll need to eat, drink, and enjoy the Portland summer sunshine and fresh air. Check it out today at PortlandFoodAndDrink.com. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Intro music by Ariel Varinas. Find links to her music in the show notes section. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at FoodPodcastPDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at RightAtTheFork.com.